Being a geek is all about being honest about what you enjoy and not being afraid to demonstrate that affection. It means never having to play it cool about how much you like something. It's basically a license to proudly emote on a somewhat childish level rather than behave like a supposed adult. Being a geek is extremely liberating. Those were the words of Simon Pegg. I'm Luke Hector, and you're listening to the Broken Meeple Podcast. The time has come, the moment has arrived, and the moons have aligned. You've travelled with me from my number 75 all the way through to number 26. It is now what you have waited for for so long. Well, at least less than 30 days anyway. My top 25 games of all time. Hello and welcome to the last in this special anniversary trilogy, shall we say, going over my top 75. This weekend has been a blast for me. I got invited to a large gathering of gamer friends, courtesy of Paul Grogan from the Gaming Rules podcast, basically for an event that we like to call Gridcom. I forget what it stands for, and I bet Paul will probably have my head for forgetting the definition for it, but essentially it's a gathering of gamers to play games. What more do you need? He has a relatively large house in Devon where he kindly hosts all of us to sleep round and just play games. It was a fantastic weekend. There were some notable games that I got to try out for the first time, such as Kanban, Automotive Revolution, Flick'em Up, Lagrania, Madeira... All sorts of cool games that I finally got to try and some of which have made it into my collection and some of which are just, you know, games that I already had but never got a chance to try and now I know they're going to stay in my collection. The other good news that I want to say is that most of you would have been hearing me bang on about Dice Portsmouth, the new board gaming cafe that was seeking its funding on Kickstarter in order to set up a store in South Sea Portsmouth in the United Kingdom. And I was a bit sceptical that it was going to fund, despite all the cool days that we were hosting for open gaming and how their presence was made in your subconscious through all time, basically, on Facebook and Twitter. And it was ticking down. I was glued to my phone at work on the final day, just seeing the total slowly creep up to the funding target of £11,000. And I'm pleased to say that it funded. Yes, it succeeded. £11,000 was reached. I believe the final target was about 11 and a half, 11 and a quarter, something like that. So not quite up to the stretch goal, which was going to be some funky pizza oven. But at least we got it funded. So thank you for everyone who supported that project. I cannot wait for them to get this set up. I'm already pledged to go to the opening party. And I even won a competition, actually, lately for a Games Quest-specific party to go to that as well. So... Well, what can I say? Great times ahead for Portsmouth and good luck to Ricky Parsons and Lee Perslow. I hope this board gaming cafe takes off in the way that you wanted and I can't wait to walk through the doors and try it out for myself. 
But let's get on to why you're really here, shall we? My top 25 games of all time. If you have not already listened to my previous two podcasts going from my 75 through to 26, then go back and watch from the start. No skipping ahead, people. You start at 75 and you go all the way through like everybody else. Uh, Trust me, it'll be worth it. There are great games on those two lists as well. But these, for me, are currently the creme de la creme of games for me. Now, I have played games recently that I do adore as well. However, I set the caveat that anything that was played after the mid-July time would not go on this list. I also said that anything that I'd only played once would not go on this list either because obviously that is not enough time to really say yes this game deserves to be on the list. These are all games I have played several times, possibly loads of times depending on the game, and they are ones that I like and just adore. So here we go, my top 25 starting with number 25. Here we are. Number 25 is a straight-up negotiation game where it must boast the highest number of alien player powers that I have ever seen in any game anywhere ever. You have to negotiate with other players as to whether they're going to ally with you in combat against somebody else or whether they're going to come to your aid when someone else is invading your planet. The player powers are all over the place and extremely varied and it's a great blast to play with large groups. I'm talking about Cosmic Encounter, Tom Vassal's number one. It's my number 25. I don't love it to bits quite as much as he does but I still really like this game and granted it's group dependent. There are some groups that it does not work with and that is a common fault with negotiation games in general but when you get this with the right group of people it's a blast to play and I strongly recommend you never play this with any less than five players. Ideally you want something like six. Six players is probably the optimal but you can even go up to eight if you've got some of the expansions. So 25 great crazy chaotic negotiation game Cosmic Encounter. Number 24 is the older brother of a game that appeared on the list in the last episode. Some people prefer that one to this one. I personally just, you know, it's not that much higher than it was. I just slightly prefer this one to it, mainly because I think the theme is stronger in this one, or at least the horror theme is stronger in this one. But I like both games, that's why they're on this list. But for me, Arkham Horror takes the cake over Eldritch Horror. I've got every single expansion to this game and no I am not crazy enough to try and play this game with every single expansion included. What I tend to do is play the base game and introduce some of the rules from the smaller expansions and maybe one big expansion board. That's it. But I've got such a big selection of characters and encounter cards and ancient ones and when you play this game yes it's a bit of an event game and Eldritch Horror can be played in a shorter amount of time but the horror theme in those encounter cards really comes through in this version so 24 Arkham Horror (music) 
Number 23 is an abstract card game. Now, again, this is a relatively divisive one amongst people. Some people really love it, some people really hate it. And I can see why. It is going to be one of those games where you either like the tactical thinking aspect of it, along with the fact that it is very abstract, but there are some people who just think it's way too chaotic and random that they're not big fans of it. Personally, I think that there is ways to mitigate the randomness in this more than meets the eye. And I love the tactical aspect of this, though. The fact that each card or technology, there's a clue there, that you use has all these different abilities and you have to work out the best way to make use of the combos you've got in order to mess up the other players or better your own position. Whether that's by leveling through all the ages or stealing points from your opponent or dominating various ages by yourself. I'm talking about Innovation. Innovation originally came about by Astari Games, but I have the yellow version, which is much nicer production quality, even though they could have designed the insert in their box a bit bigger to fit more expansions. But I really like this game, whether it's a two-player or a three-player, preferably. I don't generally like playing this with four-player because it just drags on a little bit too long, but three-player, this is really good, and as a two-player head-to-head, it's quick, it's fun, Really love it. So much tactical thinking required in this. You cannot strategize. You have to basically ad lib, much as I do with this podcast. You have to ad lib how you play this game. And it's just such a blast. When you add in the expansion Echoes of the Past, it gets even more insane. But that is a difficult one to get to the table because I can only really use that with innovation veterans because trying to teach that one to new players is just kind of suicide. You really don't want to do that. So, number 23. Innovation. Number 22 is a board game representation of a very popular civilization building game. My brother used to play the fourth iteration of it religiously and to an extent still does. I personally prefer the fifth iteration of it but I didn't get into that until I played this board game and that is Sid Meier's Civilization by Fantasy Flight. The board game is a fantastic representation of what makes the PC game so involved and so great. You have the multiple paths to victory, you have the technology trees, the combat, the exploration of the map, the nations with their special powers. It's an event game so it's going to take you a little while to play but it is great fun and you've got so many ways that you can play the game. I just love it. It's probably my favorite civilization building game that exists on this list. So, well, there are one or two exceptions, but they're sort of abstracted civilization games. So I'm going to say that this is the most thematic civilization building game that I have played. So Sid Meier's Civilization makes my number 22. Check it out if you've not already, or if you're a fan of the PC game, I highly recommend you give it a look. Number 21. Oh, number 21. We just played this a ton over the GridCon weekend, and I have convinced several of the members there not only to buy it, but to put up Twitter pictures of some of the hilarities that ensued from this game. If you want a little bit of a teaser for what those are, just ask them about a sponge that is being silently judged by several coffee beans. Um, 
if that doesn't make any sense to you, it will when you start looking over my Facebook page and some of the GridCon members pages as well. I'm talking about the classic party game Telestrations. Yes, a party game made it this high, and spoiler alert, it's not the last one to either. Telestrations is simply Chinese whispers, but with pictures. You take a word and you sketch it. Then you pass it on, they try to guess what it was, and write the word down. The player after him then sketches the word that that player just guessed, and it goes on and on until the pad gets back to you. Then you just simply open up the pad and laugh your head off as you see just how crazily out of place the guesses and the pictures looked from the starting point. If anything, being able to draw good is boring in this game. And I do know some very good artists out there who I game with, and... It's, I mean, yeah, it's great to see that they can draw well, but trust me, the best parts of this game is when people like me and several others cannot draw for toffee. I have the drawing ability of a five-year-old. In fact, I think that's probably too generous for me. My drawing is abysmal. But when you do that, the guesses in this go so over the top and out of the way that it's just hilarious. I mean, I just mentioned a sponge being silently judged by eight coffee beans. How do you think you get up into a situation like that? Especially when it started off as a blueberry muffin and came to me as currant bun and then suddenly ended up as sponge being judged by coffee beans. This is how this game works. It's just hilarious. Do not play with the scoring variants that are in there, whether you play with the friendly or the competitive, stay away from the scoring variant. Just play it, get seven of your mates together, have a big eight-player extravaganza of this, and I guarantee you, you will be playing at this at least five times in the same evening because it is just that much fun. So, Telestrations number 21. Number 20 is a deck-building game related to the Marvel Universe. Well, yeah, that kind of narrows it down, doesn't it? Yep, it's Legendary Marvel. Legendary Marvel is a really cool deck-building game that, granted, the theme is represented, but it is a little abstracted in places. But the gameplay flows smoothly, and with the expansions that have come out, I can basically create whatever Marvel battle I like. If I want the Fantastic Four versus Galactus, I can do that, and I can do a much better job than any of the rubbish films that came out recently and in the past for it. But I can certainly decide that I want to do the Guardians of the Galaxy versus Thanos. I can do Spider-Man and his various friends versus Carnage. There's so many cool battles that I can set up in this game. All the heroes in the world, all the masterminds in the world that I can use, and it's just a blast to play. I really like this deck building game. The rules are simple. You just play the cards off the villain deck, and then you just buy cards and fight cards. It's so simple, yet it's quite a good challenge, and the fact that you can set up your favorite heroes, like, you know, I can set up Spider-Man and Iron Man and uh, Captain America and all the favorites to basically go up against some of my favorite villains. And with legendary villains, which I am including in this, so legendary Marvel is including legendary villains in this category, you can play as your favorite villain. So I can have Loki and Venom and Dr. Octopus go up against Nick Fury, you know, or I can just mix and match to my heart's content. So how about we have, uh, ooh, let's see... How about we have the Green Goblin siding with Spider-Man to take on Thanos? Yeah, that'd be kind of weird. But, hey, it can happen. You can set it up in this game, and it's a great laugh. So, legendary Marvel, my number 20. Number 21. 
Number 19 was a big surprise for me when it came out. I figured, hmm, Days of Wonder. Days of Wonder normally puts out family-friendly games, and they always look gorgeous, but they're usually fairly simple games. You've got Relic Runners, you've got the ever-popular Ticket to Ride, and you think, hmm, heavy Euro game? This isn't Days of Wonder stick at all. How's this one going to turn out? Well, it turned out pretty damn good, really, and that's Five Tribes. Five Tribes is a very brain burner game. Very brain burner? It's a brain burning game at its best. It really does get you thinking hard to the point where even the most quick thinking of us are going to be subject to analysis paralysis at times. But it's so well designed and you've got so many options that you can do where you've got all the different tribes of different color meeples it looks great when you set it up all nice and colorful on the tiles and everything and then you pick up a group of meeples and you move them in orthogonal lines you know no diagonals that kind of thing plopping one down as you go by before eventually collecting up a particular color and performing the action based on that tribe so if i take the green ones i can trade resources if I take the red ones, I can assassinate other meeples. If I take the white ones, I can summon powerful genies, which I have to say, the genies in this game, the artwork is some of the best artwork I have ever seen, enough that I would love for them to make a Five Tribes genie spin-off game where they just made a deck of cards based on those genies. They look so good. And with the expansion that came out, which, yes, I know, the joke, it's now technically six tribes, not five, it just got even better and more open-ended. So, well done, Days of Wonder. You proved to the world that you can step outside of your comfort zone every once in a while and produce a classic. Days of Wonder, five tribes, number 19. Number 18 is best described as Hogwarts the board game. This one was a relative unknown to me. It just sort of came out of nowhere and I was thinking, okay, this seems good. We haven't had a decent wizard style game in a while, so let's see how this goes. After I got my head around the million options that you had on your turn in this game, I was able to see that this was going to be a favorite in my list no matter what. It's called Argent the Consortium. And in this, you are basically trying to become the next dean of a magic school, but a consortium is voting on who will be the best candidate. And the problem is you don't know what they are looking for. So all those objectives are secret. But during the game, you will uncover what those secrets are so that you can go, hmm, this guy wants the guy with the most gold, so I'm going to harvest gold. But then you've got to be careful because if people notice you hoarding gold, they might suss out that you are actually... That is what that guy is looking for. And on top of that, you have workers. It's a worker placement game at its best. And all the different colored wizard workers, as they are, have different special abilities when you place them down. All the room tiles that you put them on have special abilities that you gain by placing your mages there. You have spells that you can... Uh, learn and then upgrade and cast to like cause havoc on the table you've got supporters that will give you special powers you've got items that will give you special powers there's so much option wise in this game it is insane now granted it can be a bit overwhelming for some people and my god does it suck up a lot of table space but when you get going with this it is a blast oh did i mention that all the things that i just mentioned all those spells and items and that have an a side and a b side as well Okay, mind blown. 
the options are just crazy in this. It's in that same sort of anime artwork that you see with things like Devastation of Indies and stuff like that, but it looks really gorgeous. It is essentially anime Hogwarts the board game, Argent the Consortium number 18. Number 17 was a game that sadly missed my top 10 surprises list. This game really did surprise me. It didn't get a huge amount of buzz when it came out, apart from the fact that it had different box covers. But when I played this, I never expected to like it as much as I did. It's just designed so well, it's nice and simple, but there's plenty of thinking to do, plenty of options for how you're going to decide to win the game. And did I mention it looks stunning? Absolutely stunning? I voted for this to have best artwork in the Dice Tower Awards, and it won hands down with no problems whatsoever. And that is Abyss. And when I say it had multiple box covers, I'm not joking. They literally did do, I think, five different box covers with just basically a giant face on it and no not even a title for the board game on the front you know you had to look on the side for that it was just a giant face and some are better than others I think there are better ones than the one I've got but they were all the same component wise they just had that as a kind of cool gimmick but this game is a nice light almost a kind of card combo style game. You are collecting these cards of various different fish races, so clams, uh, sorry, the shellfish, the uh, sea lions, that kind of thing, and you're using them to acquire these lords, and these lords give you special abilities depending on what colours they are, and you need certain combinations of colours of the sea creatures in order to recruit them into your essentially your tableau. On top of that you can also use some of those lords to acquire locations into your tableau that give you other sort of victory point uh, conditions at the end of the game. It's really cool, looks stunning, easy to teach, plays in 45 minutes, it's a great game and my biggest surprise of last year had I got it there in time for the top 10 surprises list. Number 17, Abyss. Number 16, well you know I like bluffing games and in this one you don't even have to bluff in order to win it, you could win it simply by telling the truth the whole game and it's that little tweak that makes this one such a classic because some people don't like to lie and that's okay try to get away with telling the truth as much as possible in this game and you could still be rewarded for it. It's hilarious fun when people role play the sheriff and the negotiations that you get in this is just crazy for role players and LARPers alike. It's Sheriff and Nottingham. Sheriff and Nottingham I had been waiting to come out for ages. I saw the original Portuguese version, I think it was called Robin Hood played on the Dice Tower Live Marathon and ever since then I thought I want this game. It looks perfect and and when, when it got reprinted in the Dice Tower Essentials line, boom, there was my time. I was ready to try it out. With this one, you just have that fun moment of sneaking your little chickens and your bread and cheese into that little pouch, snapping it closed, and then handing it to the sheriff and lying to his face. And you do it in such a crazy roleplay type way. I mean, people will basically act out this act their socks off when playing the sheriff or even when playing the merchants you know trying to claim that they've got kids to feed and you know that I am a severely corruptible sheriff and therefore I'm going to take all bribes and people put on silly voices it's one of those group dependent games again but I, I always have such a blast with this when playing with the right group Sheriff of Nottingham my number 16 
Number 15, you would probably have expected to be a bit higher on this list. And to be honest, it's number 15. I mean, when you get to this stage in the list, every game here I love, no matter if it's a 15 that beats a 17, that kind of thing, all these games I really like. Now, this one actually made the number one spot on my Euro games list a little while ago. And to see it at 15, you might think, whoa, it's dropped a hell of a lot since that point. Well, that one was restricted to Euro games, and granted, it probably, if I did redid that list, would fall slightly in favour of other Euro games. But I still think that this is a classic, and one of the few Euro games that is pretty much devoid of theme that I still think is fantastic. And of course, that's Terra Mystica, currently ranked number two on Board Game Geek. So this would make this the highest Board Game Geek ranked game on my list. So spoiler alert, there's no Twilight Struggle, but to be honest, did you really expect it to be on my list, knowing the sort of games I like? Yeah, not gonna happen. But this one is great to play. So much variation with the races that you can be. It's highly strategic, but also tactical as well. The expansion brought in new endgame winning conditions, which buff the game up a lot and some extra races which granted are a little bit powerful but still it added more variety to a game that was already great. I really enjoyed this one, Terra Mystica number 15. Number 14 is a game that I actually had the pleasure of playing this with the designer the first time I tried it. And the designer is Matthew Dunstan, so I'll see if that's a clue to which game I'm talking about here. But this game has a really cool mechanic in that you are buying cards, and it's a tableau card game in a sense, but you are buying cards, and when you buy a card you have these four coloured pillars in front of you. And you buy a card based on whether you have those coloured pillars that are basically the requirement. So you buy a card with all your four pillars intact and then you have to get rid of one of your pillars and it doesn't have to be correspond to the card that you just bought. So you might buy a card that required a red and then get rid of your green pillar. But then after that you have to buy more cards and because you got rid of that green card you're now restricted on the ones that you can buy next. So as the round progresses your choices are more limited so you've got to plan ahead but also there's that tension of other players possibly nicking the card that you're looking for and screwing you out of a decent card because you've chucked away your pillars that allowed you to buy other ones. Really cool game that gets you thinking and with multiple different gods that are basically like a deck of cards corresponds to one god and it has a particular theme to it like uh, take that, like uh, foreshadowing, like extra points, like gold, that kind of thing. It just plays out really well. If you haven't guessed it by now, it is Elysium. It's a very recent game to appear on this list, but I've enjoyed every game I've played of it so far. It has been a classic Euro game, and like I say, it got higher than Terra Mystica, so it must have done something right. It can drag on a bit with four players if there is too much AP, but I usually like to play this with three players. Not necessarily with two, I think three players is a good sweet spot, and even four players is fun if you get some people who aren't AP prone. The pillar mechanic and the fact that you have multiple gods and you don't use them all, so you might use a particular set one day and then use a completely different set the next. It's really cool and it's ripe for expansion with more decks of god cards, which I'm sure it will get considering it was nominated in the Kennerspiel. Can't believe it didn't win it, but oh well, at least it got to nomination stage. So number 14, Elysium. <music> 
Number 13 I would have expected to have been lower on this list and originally it would have been but the recent expansion for this has really propelled this up in my books and I already enjoyed it to begin with but now I am adamant that if I'm going to get the full enjoyment of this Euro game it has to involve all the expansions including the recent Babel expansion that came out for it. Yes it's Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders is one of those games that you can play with loads of people, funny, up to seven funny enough and it still plays out relatively quickly, the expansions add all sorts of different cards and new things that you can do like having a leader that you hire each round that gives you extra abilities or extra resources and just basically having a wide variety of end game victory paths that you can go for. The Babel expansion is what's really elevated this though because you've got the projects where you almost sort of cooperatively work to gain a big bonus or to avoid a big penalty at the cost of obviously expending resources but then there are also my favorite bit which is the Babel Tower which everybody has free pieces that they can add to the tower and these add a global effect to the game that affects every player not just your neighbors so all you naysayers that don't like this game because you think it's only you and the two players next to you think again when you use this tower because those effects are global and they will affect everyone so if you notice a player across the table is really making a killing on those blues stick your tile on that tower that taxes the blues considerably and you might just gain yourself an advantage it's really great even without the expansion it's still a great game but i'm getting a little bit bored of just playing the base set so i always want to have at least leaders present cities I can take or leave, but Cities is still really good. And if it's got babbled, then yeah, fantastic. I want to play this game. So Seven Wonders, great design, great game. Number 13. Pillars of the Earth is my number 12. Yes, this is a game that I had to spend a little bit of extra money to get hold of because it's currently out of print. Mayfair games are not known for reprinting their games very often and considering it's based on an IP, Ken Follett's Pillars of the Earth, the novel, I don't think it's in that much demand. But seriously, if you get a chance to try this out, whether you want me to bring it to the club and I'll show you it, this is a great Euro game and one of the best I have ever played. The board looks beautiful and I mean gorgeous. It's one of Michael Menzel's boards and if you've seen his artwork he is known for putting so much detail into those boards that is superfluous to the game. I mean you don't need all the detail that's in there but it's not it's not distracting but it's just so gorgeous to look. I mean it'll have a forest area where you collect wood and there'll be all the trees, there'll be the workers, there'll be people hacking down trees. You might even see a small cat in the corner it just happens to be sitting on a felled tree trunk. You know, such detail and such color that he uses. But the game itself is really entertaining. The best part about it though is that bag where you draw your master builders out to decide when you're going to place them on the board a la worker placement. Because if your guy comes out early, you can place him out now but it's going to cost you more money. But if he comes out later, yes, it doesn't cost you anything, but then all the good spaces that you wanted are probably taken up. So you have to make that difficult choice of whether you're willing to pay the money, which is not always an abundant resource, and whether to get him out there quick, just so that you can nab that space that you really want before somebody else that you know is eyeing that space as well, nicks it from you. It's a really cool Euro game, one of the best. Pillars of the Earth, number 12, check it out.
Number 11 is a party game that is probably the highest party game on this list, although you might argue that one coming up later is also a party game, but it's kind of a mix of several genres. But this one is just straight up party game, and it is just straight up laughter and straight up hilarity. This is going back to those classic games you played like Taboo, etc., where you have to give a clue out to your partner and they have to guess it based on what you're telling them because you can't say the clue or any sort of derivative of it. But this one has a twist. In this game, Time's Up, you are restricted as to how you can give the clue. It plays over three rounds where you use the same 40 clues for the entire game. In the first round, you will go through those 40 clues and you will be able to describe it how you like, but you're not allowed to skip and you basically have other restrictions as well. Once those 40 are done though, you then go through them again in round two, but then you're only allowed to say one word, and you can skip as often as you like, but you're only allowed to say one word and then you're restricted to sound and gestures. You then go through the same 40 again in round three, but you're going to use sound and gestures. So your choices and restrictions become, you know, sorry, your choices become more limited as the restrictions get more later on. The funny thing with this though is that the clues that you used in the first round become the clues you try to use for the later rounds even if they were wrong. So it just ends with this craziness of people bringing back out of memory all the clues that they thought of in the first round when people are giving them such weird and abstracted one word or sound clues. Personally, I would say that if you're going to get this game, get the title recall version because the normal one has famous people and if you don't know the person, you're kind of screwed. Title Recall, though, has things like song titles, film titles, book titles, that kind of thing. And it tells you whether it's a song, a book, and that on the card. And most people will recognize the things that are on this. But you do get an opportunity to discard some that you don't know at the beginning of the game. It's such good fun. Play it with couples. Play it with new groups. Play it with friends that you know. It just brings tears to my eyes every time I play this game. Time's up, number 11. Okay guys, this is it. The top 10 of my top 75 games. You've all probably been waiting for this and just bearing with me up until now. But finally, let's get on with the top 10. Number 10 is a cooperative game. And before I go any further, I'm just going to make you participate in a little bit of a fun game. I want you to guess how many cooperative games made my top 10. You know that I love cooperative games, so naturally there's going to be at least one on this top 10. So have a little guess and see if you can figure out how many are going to be here. Well, let's kick start off with one cooperative game already at number 10, and that is XCOM the board game. XCOM, I have never played the PC game of this, but this board game makes me want to. It's just a time constraint more than anything else. But XCOM has each person taking control of a specific role, and that role is different to every other role. So if you're the commander, you're taking control of all the jets and basically destroying all the UFOs and also handling the budget. If you're the squad leader, you're going on missions with all the different soldiers that you have at your disposal. If you're the scientist, you're getting us all the tech. And if one man fails, all fail. This is not a game where you can alpha game it. This is not a game where one person can basically steal the show. If one fails, all fail. 
and the timed aspect adds that nice level of stress and tension but not too much to make it non-enjoyable and it's a hard game I mean the tutorial is hard enough get into the actual game and this will beat you about the bush a few times and I've beaten it on normal mode I haven't beaten it on hard mode yet it is a tough game but it's really enjoyable the app is so well produced it runs the game so smoothly and takes away all the fiddliness that this game could have had had the app not been developed so XCOM my number 10 great co-op Number 9, it's hard to tell if I would call this a Eurogame or a Meritrash. I'd say it's more of a hybrid, but this came completely under the radar for me. It made my top 10 surprises list, but only just, and I'd never even heard of this game before it was introduced to me. All that got me into it was that the dice that featured within it were so giant and chunky it was unbelievable. I was basically in love from the word go, just by holding these boulders of dice in my hand, and knowing that each one was unique, and all the different colours of them, and how different symbols appeared on certain types of dice. This one is of course Seasons at my number 9. Seasons is a really fun game where you are summoning magic cards, almost a bit like Magic the Gathering in that sense. You know, you're summoning magic items and magic creatures and trying to pull off some really good card combos. But what really takes this game forward is the dice and the timer mechanic. You are playing this over a period of three years. There are four seasons, spring, summer, earth, winter earth spring summer autumn winter and the dice that you roll depend on which season it is and all the seasons uh, dictate how what type of manner you can get so if you're in the winter for example air and water is a lot easier to get than earth and it's impossible to get fire and this sort of trend continues in all the other seasons the timer of the game is based on what dice you leave behind because you draft the dice and drafting is always a fun mechanic and so you never know when the game's really going to end you don't know if it's going to last for ages you don't know if someone's going to speed it along at hyperspeed and even at the last moment there are certain ways that you can make time even go backwards or just skip ahead a bit in order to speed the game up or not depending on what your card combos want you know sometimes you want the game to drag out sometimes you don't it's a really entertaining I suppose hybrid game is the best description I can give to it but seriously if you've not heard of this it only came out about 2012 I think so it's only about three years old but it's probably flown under the radar for a lot of people check it out hold those dice in your hand and tell me that you don't want to try this game out seasons number nine Number 8 is possibly the most popular LCG to hit the market from Fantasy Flight. Now the LCG model is one that I really like. I mean yes you can spend a lot of money on this game but you don't have to. The card pool expands yes with every pack and but it's up to you whether you get it. There's no there's not as much power creep as there is in CCGs and you don't open a pack thinking oh I have to get that rare. Oh no I didn't what a waste of money. Nope every pack you buy has the same cards in it and all the copies you ever need. 
But this one has been a surefire hit with me, and I wish I could get it to the table more often, but obviously being a two-player game, it does have that limitation. But when it is on the table, I really enjoy the asymmetrical nature of this classic sci-fi game, and that is Android Netrunner. Android Netrunner has two different ways to play the game. You're the runner, and you're hacking into the corpse servers, trying to deduce where those agendas are. And if you're on the corpse side, you're playing a completely different game where you are setting up the servers, putting in your cyber defenses, and hiding the agendas, and almost bluffing your way to victory. It's really cool both ways, but I really enjoy the corp. I think the corp's my favorite, particularly when you play Jinteki, who really likes the bluffing game, because in that case, you can also bluff with traps. They're definitely my favorite faction. This game is a bit of a beast to learn, I'll give it that. The rulebook's not fantastic, and there's a lot of terminology that you've got to get used to. So I best advise that you just find somebody who owns the game, who can show you a couple of core decks, and basically start from there. But it's well worth it. This game is highly addictive, it's really good fun, it rewards tactics and strategy alike and good deck building and there's so many different types of decks that you can make with seven factions to choose from and some neutral factions coming out in the next deluxe expansion this one's going to be strong for a long time to come android netrunner my number eight Number seven is a game that has shot extremely high on my recommended gateway games list. Now you're probably wondering why is there a gateway game in my top ten? Well this won't be the last one, I can tell you that. Gateway games have a good use for them. I have to teach games to a lot of non-gamer friends who I've been introducing to the hobby, some of which I even brought to the Dice Portsmouth special open day that we had earlier in August, and they loved it. So, And they always want me to come around the house and they'll cook me a meal if I can bring some games, that kind of thing. It's really a good way to get them into the hobby, and gateway games are the best thing for that. This one, though, I had been wanting to play for ages. Nobody had a copy, and Rarely did I ever see it, and even when I did see it, I could never get into the game because I was doing something else. But I am so glad I found this at ManaCon. This was... I literally only played it back in June time, I think that was when ManaCon was, or was it? No, sorry, mid-July time it was ManaCon. But since then, I've played this lots, and it's not just the phase. I really enjoy this game and can't wait for the expansion. This is Takinoko at number 7. Takinoko is a simple yet effective competitive game that is just so charming. That's the best word I can use for it, charming. It's Takaido gets that description of being like a very zen-like game, you know, very relaxing. Takinoko is a similar thing. Yeah, you've got a little bit of tension, a little bit of like, how dare you when your bamboo trees get eaten by the panda, etc. It's just such a nice game to play. You just can't help but look at these wooden bamboo trees and all the coloured tiles and move the little miniatures around, which are some of the best miniatures I've seen in just the base set of a gateway game ever, and I just get addicted to that panda. I must admit, I do like bears. I think bears are my favourite animal in the world. And I'm just there constantly doing om nom nom noises with the panda as I move it around. It's really addictive, but it works fantastically as a gateway game. And it is certainly going to stay in my collection and be used for that purpose. Number seven, Takinoko.
Number six is the highest Euro game on this list, and I have to admit, I have played some Euros recently that I think could possibly surpass this game for me. But again, I made this list back in mid-July, and I set some rules, and I'm going to stand by them. So we'll wait and see what happens when the next year's top 75, or even higher possibly, comes out at that point. But this currently is my favourite Euro game. There is so much variety in what you can do in this game. You can choose a different path to victory, and it all seems perfectly balanced. This took Agricola and fixed a couple of flaws that I had with the game, and then made it stupendous, and that is Caverner the Cave Farmers. With Caverner, if I want to be a vegetable farmer, I can. If I want to do nothing but farm sheep, don't read into that too much, then I can. If I just want a mine full of donkeys, that's what I can do. If I want to trade ore with the trader at the very end, I can do that. If I just want to go out adventuring, I can do that. If I want to be an albino dwarf colony and have all the kids in the world, I can do that. And this that's what I like about some Euro games. The fact that you have all these different paths to victory that all still work and you can just choose what you want to do. It's almost like a sandbox style game. You know, I want to do this particular path to victory. Well, go ahead and do it and see what happens. And by the end of it, you've built up your farm and your cave and whether you win or lose, it's great to experience that and also to see what you developed by the end. Number six, Caverna, the Cave Farmers. Number five is that game where, when I said earlier that I didn't know if this was going to be a party game or not, it could fit a couple of different genres, this is that one. This one is one of the few games that you can play in such a short amount of time and still get a barrel of laughs from it. It took a game that was very popular amongst groups of something like 20 plus people that you had to use a moderator for and condensed it down into effectively a 10 minute game with explanations talking etc. The app is perfect, Eric Summer does a great job of doing the voices and making everything clear cut, the expansion adds more to it to make it even better. This one is One Night Ultimate Werewolf. I love the randomness and chaos that this game can give you and I know that sounds weird, you know, I normally talk about randomness as a bad thing, but random is good in short games and co-ops. So this one takes about 10 minutes. So yes, there's an element of randomness to it, but then you have that fun phase of negotiating with the other players to find out whether they're werewolves or whether they believe that you're a werewolf or who's a villager, who did what, what role they use. And the amount of roles you have means everybody's got something to do as long as you don't use those boring villagers. You know, take those basic villagers out and replace every single one with a role and hilarity will ensue. It's fun, frantic, and done and dusted in 10 minutes ready for you to go again as many times as you can fit at the end of a board gaming night. Number five, One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Number four is the highest gateway game on this list. Yeah, you thought I was done with Takinoko. Nope, this is a gateway game as well, and it is my go-to choice for gateway games for my personal preference. I admit there are some gateway games that are probably better for getting the real non-gamers into the hobby, but if I can bring this one out, I love to bring it out, especially now that I've expanded it all the way so that I've got all different layouts and all these extra special thematic rules. This is a co-op that 
really does bring out the theme of firefighting and that is Flashpoint Fire Rescue at number 4. With Flashpoint Fire Rescue everything just flows smoothly and fits well. You have the random layout at the start, you have buildings that can be one, two or even three stories high at this point. You have submarines, you have boats, mechanic stations, you have meth labs effectively. There's loads of different ways that you can set this game up and some people will complain that it's a bit too random at times. Like, oh, it's random, you throw dice and see where the fire goes. Uh, hello, it's a fire, you don't predict fires in real life. It's not like you can easily map out where it's going to go. They're unpredictable. And that's what I like about this game. You can never tell whether things are going your way or whether things are going to suddenly blow up in your face. It is really amusing when you get one person who just seems incapable of rolling anything but explosions. You know, you think they're a secret arsonist or terrorist in your group. But you could be thinking, yeah, we got this in the bag. No problem. And then suddenly, kaboom! Loads of explosions appear. Hazmat start blowing up and people start getting killed. It's like, whoa, hang on a minute, we'll get back on this. It's one that doesn't lend itself to the alpha gamer as much because with this one, everything you do is useful. Put out the fire, go find people, get rid of a hazmat, uh, look up those question mark symbols that show whether someone's there or not. It is, everything you do is useful. There's very little you can do that is a waste of time. And you can store up action points for next turn so that if you do have a turn where you're not doing much at least it means you're going to have a power turn later and everybody can just get into this theme nice and easy it's firefighting at the end of the day who doesn't know about that so this is my top choice for a gateway game it is number four on my list flashpoint fire rescue Number three, and if you've been taking count, we've had two co-ops so far. We had XCOM and we had Flashpoint Fire Rescue. Here's the third one, and this is another LCG, the only cooperative LCG to exist, and one that is possibly one of the only games I've got, bar one, that I have only played solo. The other game I've got is Friday, and that didn't make this list, but that is a solo-only game anyway. This one can be played with two, even four players, if you so wish, but I've just got so much enjoyment out of this playing it solo, and that is Lord of the Rings, the LCG card game. With Lord of the Rings, yes, the theme is a little abstracted in some sense with the encounter deck, but those quests that you can get from every single pack, they're all really different. They give you a unique playing experience every time. The deck building possibilities are plentiful. You know, you can choose which one of the four spheres you want to use. You can also use your favorite characters that you want to for theme reasons, or you can go for a particular style, whether you want to be the aggressive combat munchkin or the quester. The creatures you face are varied, the narrative that goes with the quest packs, because you get the storylines in each one, are very good, and the favourite bit is the saga expansions that you can get, which mimic the movies that we've had from Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. One of my favourite experiences has been going through the Lord of the Rings films from start to, where are we now, the end of the Two Towers, I believe? Oh no, we're getting to the end of Two Towers, we're about halfway through. And with those... It feels like you are doing the movies. The first one, the Black Riders, those first three quests are you, particularly, playing hobbits. I was using a hobbit deck at the time, trying to escape the ring wraiths and stay hidden and secret as opposed to trying to take them out head on. And it was just really thematic and it just felt really good. I really get a kick out of just setting this up with 
a saga quest or a typical quest going in sequence with the Lord of the Rings soundtrack on in the background, my playmat in place, and just enjoying my favourite solo game that I own. That is Lord of the Rings, the LCG, at number three. And at number two, we have yet another co-op. So if you guessed four, you're on the right track so far. Could it be correct? We'll find out in a minute. But for now, this one took one of my fairly highly rated co-op games. In fact, you've already heard it on this on this actual episode, in fact. It took this co-op and made it even better. It took a franchise that I adore. Yes, it's had some bad movies, but the concept behind it, the creatures involved, the characters, it's put possibly the best female hero role in history in this particular one. You know, it puts Sigourney Weaver on the map. I love the Alien franchise and I can't wait for Predator. This is Alien Legendary Encounters at number two. The problem that some people had with the Marvel Legendary one was that they thought the theme was a little abstracted because you were just building a team as opposed to having your own, you know, superhero. And also you thought that, you know, the schemes didn't feel that much different. Well, in this, that's not the case. You can play through the movies as they were set. So you can play the Aliens movie and you will start with hunting, well, not hunting, finding survival in the hive and killing them off you will then set up some sentry guns and then you'll go and kill the queen and the cards that come out of the deck are thematic to the films you can find newt you can find jonesy in the first film in the alien resurrection one you have cloned aliens that are tougher than your average alien and the corridors can get flooded so that it hinders your ability to scan and fight them back It's just so good. It does justice to the Alien license, and I get a kick out of this. It also ups the value of teamwork, because with the teamwork coordinate keyword, some cards allow you to play them on other people's turns in order to give them the necessary boost they need to get out of a sticky situation. But even with those, the game is still rock hard at times. It can beat you down, but it's a great story when it does. And it also contains the best way to die in a co-op ever. You have face huggers that will pop out from time to time, and if it's not killed by the end of the next term, it lays its egg and you take a chestburster card and put it in your discard pile. When you shuffle your deck and that chestburster card comes back out in your hand, your chest explodes and you die. In classic alien fashion, I can't think of a more thematic and cool way to be killed off in a co-op game than being the victim of a chestburster. And I know that sounds kind of weird and gross, but it just works with this game. The cards yes they took an eternity to sort out but once they were done with dividers and everything it's worth it can't wait for predator i am gonna mix these two together like no tomorrow and see what happens when i get alien versus predator done right So, my number one people, we're finally here. What is my favourite game of all time? Well, to be honest, this is probably a bit of an anticlimax because if you've been following me at all, you should already know what my favourite game is. I bang on about it enough as it is, and I even went on Board Game Hour recently to sing the praises of this game as well. If you guessed five co-ops were going to appear on this list, you would be correct. 
Yes, that's five co-ops made this top 10. And I know it seems like they're getting all bunched together, but I love co-op games. They're my favorite style of game. You can teach new gamers them a lot easier. They facilitate teamwork. You don't get that tense aspect that you're being ultra competitive and trying to beat everyone else. I can understand why they're not everyone's cup of tea though. I don't enforce co-ops on people, but they're definitely my favorite game. And if you come to the board game night and have a decent co-op to play, chances are I'm gonna be more keen on it than the average gamer. But what does that make my number one? My number one game of all time? It's also my number one co-op game of all time. And yeah, you already know this. It's Sentinels of the Multiverse. This is what does superheroes justice. Marvel Legendary, you build up a team in deck building fashion. That gets under the that gets a little bit problematic for some people. Here though, it's based on parodies of real hero well real, you know, parodies of the Marvel and DC superheroes. But the cool thing in this is that you have your own deck. You choose a hero, you get your own tailored deck, ready-made, specific to what that hero does. If you are Legacy, you are supporting your allies and being the ultimate tank. If you are the Wraith, you are using your tool, your utility belt, and all your cool gadgets to damage the enemy. If you are Ra, you are a fire god, and you are basically blowing stuff up. If you are Unity, you are building mechanical constructs and golems and stuff like that in order to waste the enemy away. It's just the best thematic superhero game I can think of. Everything is unique to you. So when you choose that hero, you use that hero's deck. Nobody else. You don't buy extra cards. You use that deck. All the villains have their own deck and all the environments have their own deck. And with the amount of expansions that are out now, the variety in this game is through the roof. It is ridiculous the amount of variety this game has, and it's not stopping there. We already have another expansion coming out later this year, I hope, which expands on the uh, Vengeance expansion, which brought in a team of five villains you could fight. Now, we're going to get an expansion where ten more of those mini-villains come in, so now you can mix and match 15 different villains into a team of five and fight them in a big five-on-five epic battle. I can't get enough of this game. I can't say enough good things about it. I love it. I love bringing it out every single time. Doesn't matter if it's a complete whitewash. It doesn't matter if we win easily. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, it doesn't matter if there's somebody in the group that doesn't like it for whatever reason. That's fine. You know, it's not everyone's cup of tea. And I understand that without the app, it can get a bit fiddly with the tokens. But I just love it. It tells a story every single time. The comic book style artwork fits the theme really well. It's almost a little bit like a puzzle in how you use your heroes in combination to beat the villain. And this definitely facilitates teamwork. You cannot win by yourself. If you've got Deadwood, you're going to lose. You have got to work like a well-oiled superhero team to beat some of these villains, particularly the harder ones. It just works. I can't say enough good about it. Number one, Sentinels in the Multiverse. I've got a table at Dice Portsmouth with its name on it, ready for when they open. I may even go the full mile and get a copy of this for the Dice Portsmouth Cafe with a message in it from me as part of one of the um, pledge goals that I signed up for. Love it to bits. Sentinels in the Multiverse, my number one game. And that wraps up the top 75.
Woo! That's it. That is my top 75 games, and that wraps up the two-year anniversary podcast special from The Broken Meeple. Thank you for joining me with these three episodes. It has been a lot of work to put these out and come up with the top 75, but it's also been good fun as well. Normal service will resume with the typical one episode a month, although I'll try to get them more regular if I can. But right now, I've got more games to review, I've got other clubs to attend, I've got conventions to attend, I've got Essen in October, I've got Midcon in November, and I'm also considering moving house in the next few months, so I'm going to move from my flat into a three bedroom house with any luck and that means I can get myself like a geeks and gaming table I can set up my own games room I might even be able to get back onto YouTube with some videos because I might have the proper you know lighting and setup in terms of location to facilitate using video so there's fun times ahead but for now that's it for me I hope you enjoyed listening to the top 75 I cannot wait to do another list like this next year but for now we'll get back to normal top tens so that's it for me from august and take care see you soon hope to game with you guys and i hope you enjoy the journey through my top 75 i appreciate you taking the time to listen to the broken meeple thank you for your continued support if you wish to check out more of my work you can find my website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk you can also find me on Twitter at The Broken Meeple and also check out my Facebook page. The music used in this podcast has been kindly provided by CMA Music. I'm Luke Hector, you take care and enjoy the hobby. <laughs>